Hey everybody, it is Trags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome back old friend Alex Barth of 98.5, the Sports Hub in Boston, covering all things Boston for the Sports Hub, including your hometown nine, the Boston Red Sox, who are in the midst of capturing a playoff spot, a wild card spot in the American League. How you doing, Alex? I'm good. It's fun, right? This is what we all said at the beginning of the year, like, hey, just give us meaningful baseball in September and I don't remember the last time that there, you know, the teams that are involved, how many teams that are involved, how close it is that we got to, you know, up close here in Boston, see a pennant race like this. Really? And you know what? I break out my handy dandy standings and they tell me that the Red Sox, believe it or not, are six and a half games behind the Tampa Bay Rays with just over or just about two weeks remaining. Um, look, I don't think they're going to catch Tampa Bay. They would have to have a Philadelphia Phillies 1964-esque for any of those old folks out there who remember. They would have to have that kind of collapse for uh, the Red Sox to catch them. So I think uh, the Red Sox are really resigned to the fact that they will play, be playing in a one-game playoff. What they want to avoid, of course, are two things. They want to avoid playing in two one-game playoffs. And secondly, they want to have that wild-card game if they're forced, indeed, to play in the wild-card game. They want that game at Fenway Park. Yeah, I, I think that actually makes a huge difference. Just the way this team has played home versus road this year, um, and I think – if you do, and we'll see what, you know, Chris Sale's availability is. I know that he's, he's dealing with some COVID issues or was dealing with some COVID issues. Um, you know, if he's available, you want him pitching at, at Fenway Park. You want that lefty at Fenway Park. That's the best advantage the Red Sox can have without factoring in the opponent, right? You know, whether it's the Yankees or, or Oakland or, or the, the Jays, I'm sure we'll get into that. But you want one game, got to have it, whatever the scenario, wild card game, game seven. You want Chris Sale on the mound, and you want him on the mound at Fenway Park. And the Red Sox have an opportunity to set that up here. They have won 25 of their last 33 games at Fenway Park. They got off, if you recall, uh, Alex Barth, they got off to a bit of a slow start at home. They were not yes. really dominating. But since, they are now 47-29 and 29 at home. That's 18 games above 500, if my math is correct, and I think it is. Uh, and uh, they are just about 500 uh, away from Fenway. So obviously the advantage for the Red Sox um, in the one game playoff, of course, is you have the last at bat. And we all know how much of a factor that can be at Fenway late in the game when the money is on the line. And this team too, we've seen how this team has played late in games this year. They, you know, when they're feeling it, they, what was it? They won like 10 of their first 15 games or something in the eighth or ninth inning. Some, yes. I forget the exact stat. It was months ago at this point, right? But and with this season, might as well be years ago. But this is a team that knows how to win close games. This is a team that can walk off when they need to walk off. So you have to feel good about that. Uh, they are, what did I say? They are actually 37 and 18 in their last 55 home games. They've I think scored... you gave their season-long home home record. Correct. And yeah. they have scored 155 runs and hit 35 home runs in their last 20 home games. So that's essentially the point we're making. If right. the Red Sox are resigned to being in that one game playoff, they certainly um, want to have that game at home and do everything in their power uh, over these final uh, several games. Uh, and they have five games remaining at home. They have the day off on Monday. They have three off days, Alex, in 
seven days. That's remarkable at the end of the uh, pennant structure. And that is done, I think, what Major League Baseball was trying to do is not only account for weather, but uh, give these teams a chance to line up their pitching and giving the best teams the best chance uh, to advance in the postseason. Well, I wonder if some of it, too, is just, you know, in case they had to move games around because of COVID, like what the NBA did right uh, yeah, but- I, I think there was some of that, but I think there was also some of the fact that they know that with so many teams vying for playoff spots, there's definitely the chance that these uh, games can have greater significance uh, right. early, uh, earlier into the regular season. You know, more games toward the end of the regular season can matter, and they don't want teams running out of picture. So now what, because, you know, you have an interesting conversation here. You mentioned, what is it, what was it again? Three off days and what? 14 seven days, days. days, they have, three they have the off day as we record this, they have the off day yep. today, they have the off day on Thursday, and they have the off day next Monday. So that's three off days and calendar seven days uh, before they open up with three at Baltimore and three in Washington to conclude the 2021 regular right. season. So this is this is where things get really interesting, because you look at that and let's go back to Chris Sale, right? Yep you have two options on the table here. And I, I, I honestly, I'm back and forth on these. I don't know which one's the better route to go. It's a tough decision for Alex Cora here. You can definitely get Chris sale, the extra rest, which coming off the Tommy John, you jump at that opportunity, but there's also maybe a chance to squeeze an extra start out of him If you kind of juggle the rotation, right with that. And I'm not going to try to do all the math right no, now. It'll it's take pointless. Up. If I do it's it in my head, it'll take up the rest of the podcast. But you, the general idea is, you can finagle things and probably use a four-man rotation here for a little bit and get that extra start out of Chris Sale. The quest, I, To me, it comes down to how much do they feel they really need it. They have the one-game bump on Toronto right now. Do you feel comfortable with that? So it's going to be interesting to watch how they do that because at the same time, you can line up that extra start and you want to line them up for that wild card game. I think at this point, you have to start looking towards that. You just assume you're in that game. Even if you somehow catch Tampa – great. Then you can still start Chris Sale game one anyway. You have to try to line him up for that wild card game. Um, and it's, you know, do you do it by kind of, you know, wedging an extra start in there or do you just give him the extra rest? Speaking with Alex Barth of 98.5, the sports hub. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the grid and teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL. 100. That's NFL 100. Football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available now for the 2021 season. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Alex Barth of 98.5 The Sports Hub. And I want to go back to uh, Chris Sale and knowing that he came off the disabled list on Friday. I thought he was effective enough uh, in the win over the Baltimore Orioles. He improved a 4-0 with a 2.40 ERA and 31 strikeouts in six starts. Sale could pitch as many as three more times due to the Red Sox having three more off days, as you and I have both mentioned. Yeah, and I think the big thing with him, 
you know, it's good and bad. Obviously, strikeouts are strikeouts and strikeouts are king for a reason. But I think part of the reason he was so effective against Baltimore, he only had that one strikeout. We saw it going back to his rehab starts where the one there was one his I think it was his first one in Portland. He was at 80 pitches through, I think, four innings. And he struck out the majority of the hitters he faced, but strikeouts rack up that pitch count. Yep. And at a certain point, as dominant as you are, you're not going to strike every batter out on three pitches. And you need to kind of balance that and, and to a certain extent, trust your fielders to just manage your pitch count. Now, I get not wanting to trust this Red Sox defense. I wouldn't trust it. They're, they're, <laughs> it's it, not good. It, 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 uh, it, it's, it's, it's definitely not good. No, it, it looks – they might as well put me out there. But anyway, I think Sale's done a better job of – pitching to contact at the right times and minding his pitch count and doing a better job of getting deeper into games or setting himself up to go deeper into games. And that's a big development because with the bullpen still sort of coming back and we don't entirely know who this team's closer is right now. You know, you'd like to think Matt Barnes figures it out when the season comes back or that, you know, Adam Ottavino gets on this run and he can continue, but you're going to need, especially in that one game playoff, like you're going to need Chris Sale. You need him for more than four or five innings, which is what he was kind of doing when he first See, I don't came know back. If you so. I, don't, I don't know if you do, Alex. In a one game playoff where you need one game to advance to a multiple game series, you need your best picture in to, to soak up three to four innings. I think a one game playoff is like a game seven. You're not asking for the guy to go out and throw, you know, a two hitter complete game right that's not what you're looking for you're looking for somebody you can rely on in the opening three innings or four innings to get you off to a good start and if he runs into any trouble whatsoever especially when you're talking about sale who's coming off the tommy john who's looked pretty solid strong coming back from that but also throw in the fact that he had to miss time due to covid protocols there is that to take into consideration as well. So you want your best picture who can handle a big game situation. The other guy, obviously, that comes to mind uh, in my way of thinking, of course, is Nate Evaldi. I think either one of those guys, you really can't lose starting them in a one-game scenario. But then you go to a bullpen that I think is fairly deep, and you have some arms that could be transferred into um, – the bullpen from the starting rotation. So I think there are a lot of different ways that um, Alex Cora can go. I think Matt Barnes, let's move on to Matt Barnes for a moment. Matt well, can, Barnes, I, can I just jump, yeah, jump in real ahead. quick here? Please one more do. Point. It's a podcast, um, my friend. Yeah. I, I think what, what makes this conversation really interesting and we don't know the full story right now. So, you know, we can't fully get into it, but boy, you know who the ultimate, you know, winner go home weapon would be out of the bullpen would be Garrett Whitlock. Yeah, and, and you, you beat now he's the punch. hurt. You stole my thunder, but go okay. ahead. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, no, I was just gonna say, like, he's hurt. We don't like maybe he'll be back. Maybe he's just a little sore and he'll be back in a week. And you know, it's all well and good. But he, you know, this whole starting from the beginning of the season was like, wow, this guy is gonna be nails in the playoffs. You go back to what Andrew Miller was, and what was it, that 2016 run with Cleveland, I think. Um, you know, and they ultimately didn't win the whole thing, but you know. They would go to him in the sixth, and he'd go boom, sixth, seventh, eighth, and just wipe everybody out. And Whitlock felt like he could be that guy. Yeah, and no maybe question. He still can That's a be. great point, Alex. Right. Maybe he still can be. Again, we don't know what the injury is. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to sit here and tell you. But, you know, now it's like, all right, so I guess Tanner Houck's in that role, which I really like Houck, but he wasn't pitching at the level Whitlock was. Whitlock was just so good. It would be so tough if they don't have him for that one game. So. One thing uh, before we talk more about Garrett Whitlock, I want to go back to the, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to continue talking about Garrett Whitlock, but remind me, we need to talk about what really kicked off 
the five-game winning streak that the Red Sox find themselves going into the two-game series with the Mets. Remind me about that, okay, uh, Alex. Uh, but anyway, uh, Garrett Whitlock, Ian Brown of MLB.com reports, it wasn't a good feeling at Fenway Park on Sunday when Red Sox manager Alex Cora had to lift top reliever Garrett Whitlock, who came into the game with a 1.99 ERA in the top of the seventh due to right pectoral tightness. Whitlock did put his hand near his chest, but there wasn't much inkling that he had been indeed injured. Third baseman Raphael Devers, I find this interesting, was the one who motioned to the dugout to get the attention of Cora and the training staff, losing Whitlock, obviously, as uh, uh, Ian Brown points out, uh, for an extended period down the stretch would be just a huge blow for the Red Sox bullpen yeah. since they've relied so heavily on the rule five rookie. Um, but Devers, Raphael Devers noticing in it and pointing it out to Alex Cora shows me one thing, Alex, that Raphael Devers is paying attention on the field. Yeah. Yeah. It almost reminds me of, it's a little bit of a different scenario, but was it David, David price, I think was the guy, but they had some pitcher might've been Erod who had some mechanical issue and Dustin Pedroia was the one who pointed it out to the pitching coach. Hmm. Do you remember I don't that? Think I, no, I don't think I do remember this. I, I I'll, I'll type it in the Google machine real quick, but yeah, it was, it was either price or Erod. This was a couple years ago, obviously, because Pedroia was still playing and he had like three or four rough starts. And then there was a report that Pedroia, I think Carl Willis was still the pitching coach pointed it out I to Carl Willis remember this and they fixed it. Yep. And it was like, all right, you know, on one hand, it was like, all right, good. The pitchers fix. But then on the other hand, it was like, why does the second baseman have a better read on? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll tell you why, because a, they're closer and they're it B. Um, what, what does Dustin Pedroia do for a living? Did for a living. He hits pitchers. Right. Right. He studies pictures, mechanics. That's one of the things that they do. And if they notice something, uh, they are one of the first ones to notice because they're looking at the picture, um, looking for any indication of how best to hit them. Well, that goes for your own, too. And if uh, Pedroia notices something significant, I have no problem with uh, Pedroia, you know, or whoever it is pointing something out and alerting the dugout because maybe they don't have the angle to see it, especially when you're so low um, to the, in the dugout, you, you're not going right. to see it at the same angle the player will on the field. Yeah. And I, I have it right here. It was Pedroia. It was David Price, 2016 Price's first year in Boston. So yeah, no, obviously it's not a bad thing. I just, you know, I always found that moment interesting because it's not just that how many guys are out there, and they're focused on their own thing. So to kind of pick up that with your teammate, I think to just kind of speaks. you know, this is totally not where we were going, but it speaks to the kind of player Dustin Pedroia was with that team first approach. And he was able to do his job while still noticing what was going on with David Price and kind of letting Price know what the issue was. But it's a little different because it's an injury. It's not a mechanical issue. But right. just, I, I don't know, when, when I heard that, that Devers was the one who pointed it out, that was the first thing that popped in my mind was that old Dustin Pedroia story. Okay, we're going to wrap up Garrett Whitlock here, the right-hander. Yep. Um, Alex Cora said the team is you know, gathering information on this, the off day Monday, uh, and it's too soon to know what's going on, which I don't like the way that sounds. Uh, because if it's not a major issue, usually the manager and the training staff know right away that it's not a big deal. But something like this with soft tissue or muscular uh, type of injury, they have to run all the tests. They have to run our MRIs, get the results back, and then make a determination. And you're talking about a compressed 
period of time here. You're talking essentially uh, 12 days left in the regular season before they can uh, get ready for the postseason. And you don't know the status of arguably your most important and reliable arm in the bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. And then I don't know, because I, I do know in the playoffs, right, you basically set your roster for each round. So, you know, once you set your 26 men for the divisional series, that's unless somebody gets hurt, that's your roster. You can't then call somebody up. So I, I don't know how the wild card factors into that. If that's, you know, if you, if you set your roster for the wild card and then the, the divisional separate, but you don't necessarily get a chance to say, Hey, we're going to wait and see what happens with Garrett Whitlock. And maybe we'll activate him three or four games into the series. You have to know right away. And then if he can't pitch, well, then that's a roster spot. You just burn. So right. this now, you know, a lot has to happen very quickly. And ultimately it, it's whatever the injury is, is going to dictate the timeline. You know, you can't, if the guy tore something, you can't just say, we're going to throw you out there in five days, you know, pitch through it. But, and remember, this is a guy too, who's like sales coming off Tommy John. He's two years removed instead of one, but is coming off Tommy John surgery as well. So you want to be careful with him. Uh, but, you know, they got a lot of decisions to make here in a short period of time when it comes to Whitlock and crucial decisions. Cause like you said, I mean, he's the guy he is, especially in a, the way teams use their bullpens in the playoffs. The, I'll go back to it. The Andrew Miller role. We all thought yep. during that playoff run point. that that was going to become a staple of pro baseball, that role in the bullpen. Now, it didn't necessarily end up transferring to the regular season. Teams don't operate that way in the regular season, not often. But it became a thing in the playoffs that that role exists for every team in the playoffs. And if you don't have somebody for it, you're not going far. Whitlock was that guy in that role, in that very key role. And now you don't know if it's going to be him. And if it's not him, then who do you go to? Do you, I don't think they move Evaldi to the bullpen. I think you need him in the starting rotation. So I now agree it, with that. You know, is it Hauk? Is it ugh, Martin Perez, right? Like, do you try to I stretch guess out Tanner one Hauk. of your usual relievers? I would think it's Tanner Hauk, but, yeah. you know, do, do they try to stretch out one of their other? It's just, it'll be interesting to see. Darwin's in Hernandez is a guy who's not as good, but he has that arm stamina. Shorter, being a starter in the minors. Shorter burst with Darwin Hernandez. Darwinson Hernandez. Yeah. That's my my feeling on that. Hernandez um, definitely has that kind of arm. They want to want to use him in short bursts. They don't want to. I don't think they would at this point structure a guy like that. No, I don't think so. I just, you know, I I have a soft spot for Darwinson Hernandez because he was in Lowell when I was in Lowell. And that curveball tracks, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's awesome. It is awesome. That would, you know, the rest of his game was still coming along. He was in low A for a reason, but that curveball, like you saw that. You know, I would talk to scouts who were there and they were like, that curveball, get him to the bigs. Everything else has to catch up, but he'll at least get a shot at the bigs because of that curveball, because it is 80 grade elite curveball. Chatting up 98.5, the Sports Hub fanboy, Alex Barth. Today's show is powered by the Legends brand, an athlete owned apparel brand that is popping up seemingly everywhere these days, including many pro locker rooms and on some of today's top athletes. Legends is owned in part by athletes like Steve Nash, Matt Barnes, Baker Mayfield, NFL legend, and local icon Willie McGinnis, and even former Celtic Marcus Morris Sr., among, among many others. Legends makes high-performance apparel, and it's with a style and comfort you'll want to wear all day. That is a big deal these days to have versatile 
sportswear outfits that you want to wear anytime, any place. Visit legends.com today and see why athletes everywhere are swapping out their big box brands for Legends Apparel. Use the code SOX20, that's S-O-X-2-0, and save 20% on your first order. Again, that's legends.com. Use that promo code SOX20. Offer ends. October 10th back with, okay, I won't call you fanboy anymore. I'll no, call it's you fine. Na- like it's part of my brand. <laughs> 90. Yes, it is. 98 five, the sports hubs, Alex Barth. Um, all right. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Alex, those two games, the final two games in Seattle, where I think if the Red Sox make the playoffs and they win that wild card game, I'm going to look at those two games and the mental toughness they showed in those two games, winning them at the end of a road trip with the White Sox in Seattle, a six game stretch. Um, they were one and three to begin that they finish at three and three. And just the way they finish that uh, makes me think that they do have the mental fortitude to go at least a little distance in the playoffs this year. Yeah. I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the show, right? The damage this team can do late in games and how that's yep. going to be an advantage in the playoffs. They, uh, and here I go doing math on the air again, 12 of their 17. Yes. 12 of their 17 runs. They scored between those two games came in the eighth inning or later. They scored one in the Great eighth stat. and then five in the ninth in that first of the two. And then six in the 10th. That's why that we have you on here, Alex. Thank you. Um, so yeah, it's that, it's that late game mentality. And that was, if I have the timeline right in my head, because again, September 14th might as well have been a month ago, but that was right around when Hunter Renfro was on that tear, right? Yep. And I think he's somebody that you look at. Um, yeah, he had, he had two RBIs in that second game. Like he's, I don't know. They're I, not even, I don't know. They're not competing for the playoffs without him right now. And I know he had a bad error in one of those games. He dropped the ball in the center field, but what he's given them offensively, where, you know, J.D. Martinez has really struggled in the second half here and Xander Bogart's missed time due to COVID and uh, Alex Verdugo's kind of fallen off and they had to wait to get Schwarber going after the deadline, right? They, you know, they were going to be a bat short. They still might be a bat short, but they were going to be at least one bat short definitively. And Renfro stepped up big and he stepped up big in the biggest moments. And he's a guy, you know, he's, he's playing the best baseball of his career. And on one hand, he's like, you know, I think he's like 28, 29 years old, right? So you think, okay, here's a guy who's coming into his own and it makes sense, but you're also hanging on and, you know, you're waiting for, oh, is he going to drop off? And I think Hunter Renfro is going to mean a lot to this team in the playoffs one way or the other. I think he is. And we've seen it at pockets of the regular season. We saw it on that road trip and we'll continue to see it. You know, if he goes as it, simple as one game, if he goes over four, over five in that wild card game, that's a red flag. If he gets multiple hits in that wild card game, See, I, don't I feel confident that, saying Alex. they'd win it. I, so, I mean, a red flag, a red flag for what? A red flag that uh, they're screwed in that one game? Yes. I guess. But a, I, but a red flag I, I, that he's going to be a valuable player for this team going forward? No. Uh-uh. No. So I, I just meant that one game. I just think in a lot of ways, the offense has gone as he's gone. Even some of those better hitters. Yeah. Okay. Need to be. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, so, I do. And I don't know. One game playoffs look. It, they're, they're so bizarre. You have heroes like Craig Council coming through huge in not once, but twice in the World Series. And you, you just, I, I don't know. You don't know who that star is going to be in a winner take all type of situation. I keep going back to game. It's like a game seven. And right. I, you just don't know who's going to step forward. 
I guess the way I, I didn't put it well, I think more so what I'm trying to say is, like you said, you kind of look there, there. There's going to be a guy. There's as, as much as I hate to make this comparison on a Red Sox podcast, there's going to be a Bucky Dent. There's going to be somebody who steps up who you don't expect to, whether it's a pitcher yep. with like, you know, or a Curtis Laskanik would be a much better example. There's going to be a Curtis Laskanik who comes out of nowhere, gives you that one huge inning and it completely dictates the game. Or there's going to be somebody who comes up to the plate who you're not expecting Mark Bellhorn hitting that home run in the Bronx. Right. I don't know yep. why I went right to Bucky Dent. There were much better examples. Anyway, Hunter Renfro feels like a late game hero waiting to happen to me. Like that, that's more so what I mean is. I think that's a good call. You know, I, I, if, I, and that he's the kind of guy that if he does something big and late, Red Sox fans will say they knew all along that he was going to right. play a pivotal role. Everybody else on the outside will be like, Hunter Renfro? Seriously? The guy was a reject from Tampa Bay. Couldn't make it with Tampa Bay. What, you know, how did he... How did the Red Sox know? Well, the answer to that is obvious. I'm blown. But, right. in, you know, how do the Red Sox manage to pick somebody off the scrap heap and put him in a situation to excel? And I think more often than not, the Red Sox should be credited for this. They do that exceptionally well, especially with uh, some of their uh, utility players and their reserve players, uh, guys that go into the outfield late innings, come up with big hits or step into the void when somebody goes down with an injury. Yeah, I mean, Brock Holt's the ultimate example of that, right? But I just, you know, who do I want up in the ninth inning if it's a close game? I mean, you know, you obviously go right to Raphael Devers, Andrew Bogarts, but, it, you know, the way he's been playing, especially in those moments, I almost feel as comfortable with Renford. Like how many times, and maybe it's not all in the eighth or ninth inning, but how many times over the last three weeks, it's a close game, you know, even, even as early as like the fifth or sixth inning, it's a close game. And then boom, Hunter Renfro three, one home run. It's broken wide open. Like he's, he's been the guy that's broken the game open for them. And I, you know, you look at a one game playoff, you don't want, to linger in a one game playoff. You want to get ahead in that and coast. And Renfro has been that guy. Renfro has been the guy to give them that. So I just, you know, I look at that game and I look at him and it just, the two guys really I looked at were him and um, uh, uh, Whitlock because how great would it be? Again, I'm going to fanboy here for a minute. If you let me sure. How great would it be for Garrett Whitlock who the Yankees let's remember gave up on for nothing beat the Yankees in the wild card game through like four scoreless innings in the wild card game, knocked the Yankees out of the playoffs. Adam Ottavino, who the Yankees also gave up for nothing gets the save. Oh, that'd be sweet. It'd be beautiful. But I think offensively, who's that guy? I think it's Hunter Renfro. What do you think of the last counting them up six and uh, nine, 11 games? What do they have to do to go and make the playoffs and have the game at home? Yeah, I mean, you got to sweep the Mets. First and foremost, you got it's two games. The Mets are a complete joke. You got to sweep the Mets. Uh, I'd say the same for the Orioles. You know, between the Mets and the Orioles, they got five games there. You, you should win four of those five. You get one mulligan. Those That's the worst team in baseball and the coldest team in baseball. Uh, you know, the Nationals are what they are. They should at least take two or three there. You hope at that point those games don't matter. So I don't want to, you know, get into projecting that game. Yep. It's really, it's that Yankee series. It's if they take two or three there and then just take care of business, they don't have to go above and beyond. If they get two or three against the Yankees and then take care of business the rest of the way, they should be at home. It's not about what they need to do. It's about what they can't do. They can't let themselves get tripped up by the Mets. They can't let themselves get tripped up by the Orioles. 
You can, and you don't want those like they should beat the Nationals, but you don't want those Nationals game to mean games to mean anything. Those games should be about getting, you know, getting lineup players days off, lining your pitching rotation up, make sure you have Chris Sale lined up, make sure your closer's ready. You those games should be procedural. And the way you do that is you take care of business against these two crap teams you're playing, and then you just got to take two or three against the Yankees. But how great is it that there's Big time, meaningful Red Sox Yankees baseball at the end of the season here. It's awesome. I, I think schedule makers did a very good job with that, and uh, yes. the Yankees have been struggling mightily, as everybody knows. And uh, as we wrap up here on this week's Red Sox beat, let's again go over the standings as yep. we are on the off day. Here we go. So the Red Sox go into the off day. They are eighty six and sixty five. The Blue Jays have two games in hand on them. They are 84 and 65. So one game the Red Sox have, uh, they are one game ahead of the Blue Jays, um, but the Blue Jays have uh, two games in hand, so they could make that up uh, very easily. And the Yankees are 83 and 67, a game and a half behind the Blue Jays and two games, uh, two and a half games behind the Red Sox. So the Red Sox would really have to fall apart um, to fall three games back and miss the playoffs altogether. Could happen. Obviously, they're facing uh, the Yankees and the Mets are, you know, the Mets would love to stick it to the Red Sox. But like you said, they're a mess, and I don't think that's going to happen. Anything else on your mind? Uh, don't sleep on Oakland. Don't, you know, they're just kind of lingering there. Well, and they are 82 and 67. They are two games back of Toronto uh, in the wild card, and they are three games back of the Red Sox. Yes, uh, and they've I, also I don't mean, won five straight. Right. I, I didn't mean don't sleep on them in terms of you know, um, they you know they could end up taking that 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 top wild card spot. But I would even say the Mariners too. I like what the Mariners have, and they play the A's seven times here down down the stretch they have seven games left against each other so if one of those teams were to you know win six of those seven and i don't know how realistic that is but that you know one of those teams is going to have a chance to really climb if they if if they can kind of get on a run you mentioned the a's have won five in a row so i know everybody wants to talk about the the contest brewing in the a at least and they should and it's really fun and it's good baseball and it's a rivalry and all of that but I'm not ready to to rule, at least when it comes to that second wild card spot. I'm not ready to rule the AL West out of it either. All right. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, the one and only Alex Barth of 98.5 The Sports Hub. He's a great fanboy of all things Boston sports. Follow him on Twitter at RealAlexBarth, all one word. Also want to thank our terrific sponsors, Bet Online and the fine folks, at the Legends brand. I'm Mike Petralia, and for Alex Barth, this has been the Red Sox Speed Podcast powered by CLNS Media.